Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. I just got off the phone with my mom, and in case you didn't know, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. This is your public service announcement to make sure you wear green. We were brutal in our home growing up. If you were not wearing green, you were pinched, and you were pinched brutally, and you were attacked by the whole family. Uh, You know, you can't be colorblind on St. Patrick's Day, so ask a friend. uh, Use a lifeline if you have to ahead of St. Patrick's Day, Uh, also known as the Secular World's Day to drink and celebrate being Irish, and I actually am um, part Irish as well, in the melting pot of my my background. Um, But here we are. We're on the eve of St. Patrick's Day. It's a favorite. Um, it's a favorite Saint's Day for me because it's something that we have a robust feast around in our home. Uh, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to not necessarily know a ton about a particular saint, uh, but actually have things that we do in our home uh, pointing the ce- to the celebration of that particular saint. So I'm going to share with you some of the things that we've always done growing up celebrating uh, this great saint. I was a total homeschool kid growing up and our next door neighbor, they were a homeschool family as well. And our next door neighbor's mom, she was just like the extraordinary at planning neat, fun things for kids and incorporating the faith. So we always had a very special uh, St. Patrick's Day lunch and a special St. Patrick's Day dinner. So I'm doing the same in my home. I'm really excited because my daughter's two, so she's kind of going to get some of it or just be really excited because I'm being silly silly and excited over all of the green foods and all the appropriation of food into our Catholic faith in the feast day of St. Patrick's Day. Now, if you missed it yesterday here on Trending, we talked about what you should drink. Uh, Alcohol, beverages of choice for St. Patrick's Day. I know many dioceses have given that dispensation for people to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, or if you have um, Irish in your blood, uh, many churches are having St. Patrick's Day feast. so be sure to check out a parish near you and find out what's going on in your diocese. Um, but we are feasting tomorrow, but when we come up on a feast such as that, I usually try to scale it back either the day before or the day after, especially if it's a Friday in Lent, and maybe uh, observe you know, fasting from meat on another day, which is hard one nursing, but I've been able to do it this year. I had a difficult time last year. So let's actually, let's talk about some of those fun St. Patrick things that you can do. Uh, and we'll talk about St. Patrick and his life tomorrow on the show. Also, how to celebrate St. Joseph's Day. These feast days are so close together. Uh, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. It's our weekly marriage hour. And just a heads up, if you're with us a uh, little later on in the show, really important topic uh, to me, near and dear to my heart, is confession. We're going to talk about the role of confession in our marriages and dating relationships. Because a marriage hour is not just about those who are already married. It's about those who want to be there. Whether you're single, pringle, and ready to mingle, or you're in a dating relationship for the purpose, the only purpose, that is for discerning 
marriage. So we pray for all of those who are in that season in life that can be so challenging. And so we're going to talk about confession and how that plays a part in marriage and in dating relationships and talk about some of the virtues in the midst of all of that that are so helpful. Also, we're in the midst of a historical uh, battle, a historic battle here in the United States as we are seeing the first of its kind, an FDA case on chemical abortion. That is the most common type of abortion today. Over 50% of all abortions are of chemical abortions and Alliance Defending Freedom is hot off hearing, or sorry, not hearing, but uh, standing for the pro-life position in this case. And we will wait and see what happens in the wake of the hearings that have occurred over the last 24 hours. So stay with me. I'll explain the latest on that. Also, if we have time, hopefully we do. If not, we'll talk about it tomorrow. What about that argument, safe, legal, and rare? We've talked a lot about it here on Trending, but I think we need to revisit again today or tomorrow on the show because safe, legal, and rare is, I think, what a lot of Americans believe in when they say they're pro-life, but that is not what the pro-abortion movement stands for. And I'll explain to you why, and I'll also explain to you if for some reason you were to claim a position that was pro-abortion that wanted something to be safe, legal, and rare, I'll talk about what that would at least include and why the pro-abortion movement actually doesn't even want to provide that for so-called, I say so-called, safe, legal, and rare abortion because there's really no such thing. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. My guest now, before we dive into St. Patrick's Day and how you can celebrate it in your home to tomorrow is Grace Delaney. Now, Grace Delaney, I met a little about 15 years ago almost and now as she was getting ready to head into opening up a maternity home um, for women who wanted to place their children for adoption. Now, this was near and dear to my heart. I've shared with you guys before. I actually... Um, saw firsthand the power of maternity homes and that my parents opened up a maternity home when I was a little girl. And for a period of time when they were kind of the house parents of the maternity home, taking care of the women and their babies, um, we actually lived there. I was the only child at the time. I remember some of the babies we even had uh, through transitioning periods. Some of those babies um, whose moms had abandoned them actually live in our home as well. So I love this mission of the maternity homes. They are truly the front line in the fight for life today. And I I think all the more so as women in pro-life states are being turned away from access to abortion. This is a good thing because women are forced to make other decisions, but we need to be there to help provide the support and means necessary, both physical means as well as spiritual and intellectual means in order to make that happen. So joining me now is Grace Delaney. Uh, she has personal experience on this front as she was a birth mother who placed her son in an open adoption in 1992 and has since founded and is also the chairman of the board for On You Stay Foundation. They opened a maternity home back in 2013 in San Diego, and a second maternity home is about to open next year in February in North Salt Lake, Utah. So welcome to Trending, Grace. It's good to connect with you again. Hi, Timory. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be on your show, and it's actually uh, opening this year, not next year in Utah. Oh, how exciting. That what, so when are you expected to open? Uh we're we're probably about a month away. Congratulations. That so is so exciting, exciting to hear. So are you already working with women um who you're anticipating coming in your doors or where are you at with that? Yes, yes we are. So, you know, Utah was a trigger state. 
so uh, after the Dobbs decision, Utah went back to uh, only in cases of rape, incest, or life of the mother would abortion be legal. Of course, Planned Parenthood filed an injunction, and by December, I think we had 1,746 abortions still done, but now we've, um, we've got a, a stay in order, so hopefully we're moving ahead with a positive outcome post-row here in Utah. Praise God. So you were there on the front lines for women who are being turned away from access to abortion. Uh, you're there to help provide the opportunity. Let's talk about what a maternity home is and especially the unique type of maternity home you run with on Youth Day Foundation. That is the Lamb of God Maternity Home in San Diego and about to open in North Salt Lake, Utah. So it's uh, fun to hear your story, Timory, because it used to be that uh, adoption and maternity homes were really the, the way that women um, were supported in crisis pregnancies. And then it kind of all went out of fashion and single parenthood became, um, you know, very elevated and, and social norms. And we had uh, no more need for maternity homes. Abortion became rampant. And so now you have Less than 1% of women in crisis pregnancies choose adoption. So the numbers have completely gone, you know, a different direction because of abortion. So now that we've had the Dobbs decision overturn Roe, we feel that it's our duty as pro-life warriors, and especially if you're on the front lines, that when we talk about options, there aren't 12 options. There are two options to abortion. One is parenting and the other is placing for adoption. So when we opened the maternity home in San Diego, um, we were one of only about 200 in the country. I think that number is about doubled now. So there are over 400 maternity homes, but that's still a very small number. And in terms of our focus, we decided to be adoption Centric. So as I did my research, a lot of the homes that uh, were open said they would have maybe an adoption once every two years, three years. So it was very rare for maternity homes. And a girl would come in maybe with that thought in mind, but the other girls and the staff and people would talk her out of it. So you, we, we decided that we were going to be unique, we were going to be adoption-centric, and we were going to walk in the journey with the girls. And so everyone in our staff, everyone that volunteers, uh, is really trained in the adoption language that's supportive. And we put a, a, a nice supportive bubble around the girls so that they are really honored in that decision to place. And it's been really interesting, Timory, because even people that are very pro-life sometimes have a, an opinion about adoption that maybe the girl's being selfish or um, mm. she's taking the easy way out or, um, you know, she's shirking her responsibility. And having been a birth mom, and I am a birth mom still, you once a birth mom, always a birth mom. Um, 30 years ago, I, I just begged to differ with all of that. I think it's a, a very different um, emotion and uh, way of thinking that, that goes into this decision, which is excruciatingly 
painful, as are all decisions um, when you have an unintended pregnancy. But for me personally, I had two small children. I was, uh, my first marriage was annulled and I was desperate. I, when I got pregnant, I, I'm not proud of how I got pregnant. I am proud of what I did with it. I knew that I knew the reality of being a single mother. I knew how hard it was. I knew what the data shows about fatherless homes. And, and we can talk about that a little bit. But I knew that my baby, whose father abandoned the whole situation and, you know, urged me to get an abortion. Of course, that was not even on the table. So I chose to give my son a married father and mother because I felt he deserved that. It was challenging. It was painful. I, I say to our birth moms, it's, it's like when you're parenting a child, you have decades of ups and downs and joys and sorrows and um, pain and suffering and happiness. And when you're a birth mother, it's like all those emotions happen at once. And there's a tremendous amount of grief. It's not natural to entrust your baby into the arms of a, another, but it's another form of parenting. Sometimes the best way to be a mother is to choose someone else to be the mother and to choose a father. And all that emotion comes at once. But at the end of it all, there's joy. And I can say 30 years later, there's extreme joy. I was uh, able to walk my son Dylan down the aisle with his mother that I chose for him 30 years ago to meet his bride mm -hmm. at the altar of their marriage. And he had a first dance for her and a first dance for me too. And um, they, they've, he and his wife have my first grandbaby. I just went back and celebrated her first birthday. So there's there can be tremendous joy in open adoption and, so it's very different today than maybe uh, the way people look at it in the past. There's so many things I want to discuss, Grace. If you're just joining us, that's Grace Delaney. She's a founder of Anu Stay Foundation, which opened up Lamb of God Maternity Home for Pregnant Women in San Diego, California, as well as one that will open up later this year in Salt Lake, Utah. You can find her at onusdayfoundation.org. That's onusdayfoundation.org. I'll post the link on social media. Onusday is spelled A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I foundation.org. Okay, Grace, we're talking about the unique dimension of your maternity home. Women from across the country can come there. Uh, it's what I appreciate. I remember when you were first opening it, I as being part of the pro-life movement, I know a lot of people kept questioning you. I remember being at some of the meetings. We we're going, why only women who are adoption-minded? And you really explained and I think helped to bring a lot of people around to that position. That is, we live in a culture where uh, very few women choose adoption, as you said. There's a lot of guilt, uh, even sometimes coming from people in the pro-life movement toward women for placing their children for adoption. And so you wanted, as you said, to protect these women women to be able to journey with other people who understand why that choice is being made. Can you talk a little bit about some of that guilt surrounding adoption and, uh, and kind of explain how that's kind of getting in the way of people choosing life today? Absolutely. So uh, I think the old way of looking at adoption, because most adoptions were closed, it was sort of enshrouded in guilt and shame. 
those two words. And it was painful for the birth mother. It was challenging probably for the adoptive couple. Um, there was maybe a sense of, of loss and abandonment for the child because it was so unknown. And adoption today is so different. And 30 years ago, when I placed my son, I was kind of at the forefront of open adoption. But today, adoptions, the majority, the vast majority are open in one way, shape or form, meaning um, at the very least, the birth mother chooses the couple. She looks at profiles and is able to choose the couple that she feels is the best suited for, uh, for her to feel good about her adoption decision. She makes an adoption plan, a birth plan. And moving forward, it's this triad of love where there's complete trust. And that's a really important piece to this equation. So when the child grows up knowing why they're six foot six and have blue eyes and like my son, and um, you have the parents who know the, the health history, and then the birth mother herself knows where her baby is, maybe is um, able to see that child through the growing up, um, is able to participate in, in maybe some of the milestones in the life and then have an adult relationship. Everyone's got different plans that they make, but that child is, is able to grow up with now all the tools in place. Um, children that are adopted are more likely to be read to, to be sung to at night, even then children raised in biological families. Adoptive couples, I think, are kind of super parents. And they have to go through a lot. They have to um, go through a lot of scrutiny to be um, considered for adoption. And there are 2 million couples in the U.S. waiting to adopt right now and less than 1% of girls choosing adoption. So if we can bridge that, and I think all of us in the pro-life movement have a responsibility to do that, and, and it can be done just by being supportive of that decision and really putting that out there and not saying, I could never do that, so how could I ever expect a birth mother to do that mm -hmm. when they're not in the shoes of that birth mother? And I think about the very first one that came to us. Um, I don't think the ink was dry on her. 501c3 application, and, and we got a call, uh, our adoption attorney that was on our board uh, at the time, we got a call from a woman who was 32 weeks pregnant, and she had gone into Planned Parenthood up in Bakersfield to get an abortion. And they said it's going to be a three-day procedure, and you're going to need to come down to Long Beach, mm -hmm. and it's going to cost you $3,500. Well, she had a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and she was living out of her car. She reached into the pocket of her car, and she took out a brochure or a flyer that someone had given her months before when she'd gone in for her pregnancy test to Planned Parenthood. So all you sidewalk counselors, you never know where things are going to land. And she said, I don't know why I took it. I don't even know why I kept it. But it led her to us. And as my husband likes to tell the story, um, she, I basically jumped in the car with this attorney. We drove up to Bakersfield and I called my husband on the way and said, it's okay if they live with us, right? Cause we didn't have the home open yet. <laughs> so she lived, she lived in our home and a month later gave birth to a beautiful baby and chose the couple and went on to, 
you know, have a great life. She's a phlebotomist. Um, her kids are doing great. Her, her daughter that was placed is now like in fourth grade. And so it's, um, it's just a whole different, it can be a whole different dynamic than I think people picture it from maybe the past and maybe Hollywood is still kind of skewed it a bit, Mm -hmm. but the stories are beautiful and they're life changing and generational poverty is interrupted. Mm, and I think that's profound uh, to speak to because when a child grows up in a fatherless home, uh, we see poverty sets in. We see the likelihood toward imprisonment settling in, especially for young boys, uh, repeating the pattern of mm-hmm. non-intact marriages and um, fatherless children moving forward. So you're, like you said, you're breaking a pattern that could begin or continue uh, from what has already been in that family. It's fascinating to me because open adoption uh, is totally different, really, from adoption as we've known it. And there really has been a major stigma around adoption, Grace, uh, that I'd like to touch on for a moment here, because I think that stigma has really even uh, uninspired pro-life people from encouraging adoption today versus the open adoptions. I saw, uh, I actually had a crazy story, long story short, um, I was getting my hair done for the first time um, with this woman and she kept asking what I did. She kept asking, asking, saying, oh my gosh, she's going to hack my hair off. <laughs> and by the end, she follows me outside and I'm going, oh no, she's following me to my car. And she pulls me aside. She just found out the night before her daughter was pregnant. Long story short, that next day we had her in the crisis pregnancy center I was working at and she ended up choosing to place her baby in an open adoption. And it was so neat over the years to follow the story um, as that woman became, you know, the person who's done my hair all these years and to see as, you know, her daughter went through those ups and downs, those challenges, but how she's fought as she's still a mom, she's a birth mom, um, but she chose to place her child for adoption and how in her motherhood, it has inspired her to do better in her life out of honor for the fact that she did place her child and how that has allowed mm. her to thrive and how she's seen her child thrive and how she's found the balance of checking in and seeing her daughter versus keeping the space necessary during you know different developmental times. It really is fascinating to see how these open adoptions work and really open our hearts and minds to a different way of doing adoption that is much more respectful of the child and the the mother who birthed that baby. Um, I want to come back, Grace, and continue to talk about Anya Stay Foundation and the maternity homes that you are running because I think it's really important that we give this important information to people about maternity homes, how they're on the front line of the pro-life stand to protect women and their babies. If you'd like to learn more about these maternity homes in San Diego as well as in Salt Lake, Utah, you can check out onustayfoundation.org. That's A-G-N-U S-D-E-I foundation.org. We'll post a link in the episode notes for today's show. These are great organizations to get behind to support as they were on the front line bringing women in their doors from across the nation to help save mom and baby. We'll be right back. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation 888-914-9149.
Welcome back to Trending. We're going to talk in just a few moments about how to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in your home. We do lunch and dinner in our home when it comes to St. Patrick's Day. All green foods for lunch, dinner, the typical as we know it, uh, corned beef and cabbage. I'll explain why. There's a lot of symbolism that we can implement and it's fun with kids. These are some of my favorite Catholic memories uh, growing up. And we're going to talk today as well. It's our weekly marriage hour about the role of confession in our marriages and dating relationships. So much to cover on the abortion front as well. We'll see how much we get to uh, because a historic case right now in Texas, the first with the FDA and on chemical abortion specifically, uh, Texas is really that bad battleground of many other places with regard to abortion today. Uh, And on that note, joining me is Grace Delaney. Grace Delaney opened up a maternity home back in 2013 in San Diego, California for women who were considering an adoption for their baby uh, instead of an abortion. Uh, Praise the Lord. She's getting ready to open a second maternity home in North Salt Lake, Utah. And you can find her and her incredible work of what they're doing to help save moms and babies at onusdayfoundation.org. That's A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I foundation.org. The link's in the episode notes as well as on social media. Just follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M. E-R-I-E to grab those links. If you've not been with us, we explain what a maternity home is, why a maternity home just for a like-minded moms who are considering a specifically adoption. Uh, we're talking especially about open adoption, how it's radically different from adoption as we've known it over the years. I know you hear a lot of stories um, really kind of frustrating that where people will downplay kind of adoption as an option um, to abortion, but open adoption is very different. So if you miss that conversation, I hope you'll go back and listen uh, to this episode and share it with someone else. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more, Grace, about what's happening on the abortion front, because you are here in battleground states of California and Utah. Uh, Utah having not very permissive um, abortion laws. There's been a lot of fight back and forth over a trigger law that went into effect after Roe v. Wade was was implemented. And now we see another pro-life law going through the legislature right now. Um, so we're seeing then in California radically permissive abortion laws. What's happening in terms of the mindset? Where are these girls' minds at when it comes to abortion, uh, the legality of it, when they come to you in your home after the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Well, I think that most women really don't want to have an abortion. I mean, when you get right down to it, they know they're taking the life of their child and they're just not um, seeing that there could be another way. And you you said something really important that um, I think I've heard. I, I know I said it to myself 30 years ago when I placed my son for adoption and I hear this very thing come out of the the mouths of our birth mothers at the maternity homes they say i want to make my baby proud of me Mm -hmm. so i think they're they're looking at this decision and they you you talk about guilt there's so much guilt and so much suicide and substance abuse that goes along with abortion and yet adoption is something where it's giving the girls a leg up and a chance to do something with their life where they want their baby to be proud of them. And that was the case for me. I went on to, to marry an incredible man, Kirk, and he came into the Catholic Church uh, about 12 years ago. We have two, I think God blessed me seriously because of my placement with a 
two more children, one when I was 42 and one when I was 47. Wow. So um, I'm 65 with a 17-year-old. It's kind of crazy. Um, but I think these girls, they just want to take a breath. And the maternity homes enable them to step away from all the noise out there and catch their breath and start to really look at their options. And we have a, a girl actually who came from Utah because we weren't open here yet to our home in San Diego. And she had been at a Planned Parenthood with the abortion pill in her mouth. And for some and this was not in Utah, this was in, in on the East Coast, but she grew up here in Utah. She had the abortion pill in her mouth. And for some reason, the sonographer said, do you want to see a picture of your baby? Turned the screen around. She saw the heartbeat and she took the pill out and threw it away and said, I can't do this. And literally ran out of the Planned Parenthood. And her mom, this girl was 18, called me and said, you talked to me in the high school gym years ago about this home and about adoption, and I can't even remember having the conversation, but her daughter played sports with my daughter. And long story short, her daughter um, came to live at the home last May. She's still living at the home. She had her baby in October, a couple days before she turned 19. She is rabidly pro-life now, like the most educated, outspoken, Mm -hmm. It's just extraordinary. Named her baby Marley, or well, she didn't name. She she chose the couple. The couple named her Marley, and they jointly named gave her the middle name Grace. And she has this incredible relationship. And she just texted me the other day. She got accepted to the University of Utah in their pre med program. Praise God! Wow. So what a what a transformation. She was in an abusive relationship back east. And this happens too, Timory. So many of our women have had multiple abortions. They've come out of sex trafficking in some cases. We had a, a woman who was 21 who'd been sex trafficked since she was 13, had six abortions mm. forced upon her, escaped oh that, came and lived at the home, and had, did something noble with this pregnancy and ch- chose the couple and has a relationship with this child. So these women are coming with stories that would blow most people's minds. They're coming to us broken spiritually, broken physically, broken emotionally, and they need our support. They need the love and, un- and unconditional love, the, n- the no judging. They need people they can trust who aren't trying to get something from them. Mm-hmm. And it's just... Um, profound to see the transformation and for the pro-abortion argument of you only care Mm -hmm. about the baby which we've all heard right Mm -hmm. um that's where we change that dialogue and that narrative and it's like oh no we care deeply for these mothers and we want them to have a chance to go on and do something wonderful with their life um you know, talking about marriage, and I know you're just such a, a, a advocate for good marriages, and it's such a joy to see, like, one of our birth moms, Erin, um, just got married about, uh, well, it was the end of January, and she had, 
she chose secondary virginity with her husband to be. They didn't drink any alcohol their whole engagement because they didn't want to have temptations. They didn't kiss. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. But she placed her baby, chose this beautiful, came back into her Catholic faith. And we've had many, many women come back to their faith and is now, you know, married to a beautiful Catholic man. And they'll go on to have a wonderful family. That's the hope people need to hear. You know, the fact that this is about saving the baby. Yes, it's about the mom and it's about the mom's future, whether it's you know choosing adoption and open adoption or simply choosing life, whatever the circumstances are, that this is a hope. It's a choice not made in vain. And I think that's what's so challenging is some people say, well, it's selfish to try and bring a child into this world if you're not going to be the one to raise it or if the baby has less than ideal circumstances. And your stories, your sharing grace, really share how that's not the case. When women choose open adoptions, it changes the course of the direction of these women's entire lives. That's Grace Delaney from Onustay Foundation. You can find her at onustayfoundation.org. Two maternity homes for women uh, pondering and really planning to place their children for an open adoption. There's one in San Diego, California, and another to open up in just about a month here in Salt Lake, Utah. Women from all over the nation can come to these maternity homes. Uh, Grace, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for sharing your story. You can find her and her work at onustayfoundation.org. That's A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I foundation.org. We posted the link in the episode notes as well as on social media. Podcasts will be available just a little bit after the show at relevantradio.com. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'll be right back during our weekly marriage hour. We're going to dive into how to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I'll give you a little bit of an update on what's happening in the FDA case on chemical abortion, the first of its kind, very historic, as well as what happens when we bring confession, that sacrament, into our marriages and dating relationships. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. We're going to get to that important topic of the role of confession in our marriages and dating relationships in just a moment here, as well as a brief update on what's happening uh, in the state of Texas with the FDA and the chemical abortion pill, that case that is being argued by Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, I pray for this case. We've got to pray. It's really in our Lord's hands as he works through the judges and all those involved in the case. But first, fun, because being Catholic is fun, and tomorrow's one of those days where we can celebrate that. St. Patrick's Day is coming up. It's your PSA that you need to wear green (laughs) tomorrow if you're not going to get pinched, at least in my home growing up. So we'll talk about St. Patrick and his life more tomorrow. Uh, We know that he's known for the liberation of Ireland. He was taken to Ireland as a slave at 16, and after escaping and traveling on foot, Uh, hundreds of miles, he became a priest and later returned to Ireland to convert pagan Druid Ireland. And so St. Patrick's Day is known as a day for many people to drink and celebrate being Irish. I argue it's a day to celebrate our Catholic faith. 
And we have this great tradition of feasting. It's at the heart of our liturgy with the Eucharist. So by the way, any way to celebrate a feast day is really make sure you start by going to Mass. Uh, St. Patrick is known for converting an entire nation and ways to celebrate and talk about his story, you know, bringing the books, just orating, telling that own story, talking about different things people know about St. Patrick. They're really fun things. I bought, uh, it should be here hopefully during waking hours tomorrow, but it was a last minute purchase of a book on St. Patrick uh, from my little girl. But what I grew up with was a lunch with all green foods and a dinner with a poor man, what's known as a poor man's meal of corned beef and cabbage. Now, yesterday on Trending, my guest was talking about how corned beef and cabbage wasn't really a thing in Ireland, uh, but I'll talk about why it's significant that we use it today and, and how it's been a part of the Catholic celebration in our home over the years that I grew up in and now bringing that to my daughter. So St. Patrick's known for converting an entire nation of Ireland, and that's why we celebrate in many ways him in his life because we know he's a saint in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray for his intercession and celebrate the good work he did. So corned beef and cabbage is one of those common meals that people usually have on St. Patrick's Day. I know it's a Friday in Lent. Many dioceses, many people have received a dispensation to eat meat. I usually try to offer a sacrifice the day before or after or no meat uh, when things like this happen. So here, let's talk about the food now that we can talk about meat on Fridays. Uh, poor man's food was what has been known in many ways as a corned beef and cabbage. And so the meal often con consisted of soda bread, corned beef and cabbage. You can stew it, you can cook it uh, with special herbs to give it that uh, corned beef taste, and then potatoes. So that's what we'll be having for dinner. Uh, just to ponder, and I like that corned beef and cabbage has been known as the poor man's food uh, because I always kind of connect the significance, and it's okay to make our own connections. I've always made the connection over the last handful of years with the poor man's food of corned beef and cabbage, being that in Christ, we are poor without Christ. But in Christ, we have everything we need. Without him, there's so much we are hungry for, uh, in need of. People in the culture are spiritually starved without Christ. And so the poor man's food, that was the people of Ireland. Without Christ, uh, they had really turned to pretty awful things, as we'll talk about tomorrow on Trending, uh, with Dru the kind of this culture of the Druids and how it was witchcraft. It was horrible. And St. Patrick entered in that and elevated the lives of Irish people to Christ. Now, something fun growing up that we always had in the celebration of St. Patrick's Day is there were always um, throughout the house uh, footprints of the leprechauns. And those footprints led, if you follow the footprints of the leprechauns, uh, led you to buried treasure. I loved it. Our next door neighbor always hosted this really fun uh, St. Patrick's Day lunch. I'm hosting one tomorrow with some of our family. And, you know, at the end of that uh, footprint, um, we have the pot of gold, which we know in the tradition of the leprechauns and St. Patrick's Day and the Irish, uh, that at the end of the rainbow, the rainbow that symbolizes God's promise to humanity that he would never send another flood to destroy the earth, uh, you have that pot of gold. Well, what does that gold stand for? Gold was given to Christ at his birth. Um, it was given by the three wise men, and gold is a symbol of royalty because Christ is 
is a king over us. And so those are fun things to incorporate, you know, the fun of the leprechauns and incorporate children's imaginations and then talk about Christ and the significance of gold and having those gold coins. So we always had uh, chocolate covered gold coins in our home, uh, tons of them, tons of chocolate. Uh, the other thing that we had is we always had green foods for a meal, a celebration, I think, of a beautiful land. Ireland, we know. I mean, if you've ever been there, the rolling hills of Ireland, I mean, the green is out of this world. And God created that. And so to ponder that and to ponder that even in the darkness of the Druid culture and the beauty of the land itself in Ireland, that here St. Patrick came inspiring, drawing this people to Christ, drawing this land so beautifully made and cultivated into the life of Christ. So those are some fun things to incorporate in your home. The gold coins. I don't know if I'll get to the leprechaun footprints <laughs> this year. I didn't quite plan ahead enough. I don't got I don't have any paint. Um, but if I do, I'll be sure to post a picture on social media. And then the fun green foods. And by the way, leprechauns play tricks. And so a fun thing to do in your home are tricks all over the house. I loved this growing up. I remember my siblings, my mom really got like very bold about leprechaun tricks when uh, my younger siblings in particular were little. And it would be so funny to see the things that they would wake up wearing. I think my sister had, you know, someone's clean underwear on their, her head once. My brother had my sister's tutu on him. He woke up, it was the funniest thing. He woke up and just screamed because he had this tutu on him. I think another year she put the tutu on again and he had wrestled it off in his sleep in the early hours. And he was telling us about this dream about how he was trying to get this thing off of him. And anyways, tons of fun things to do. Uh, one of those fun tricks is you can take apple cider and put pop rocks in the bottom with green food coloring. And then as you pour the apple cider into the cup in front of the kid, it'll start fizzing extra and then it turns green. And so that's another one of those tricks that the leprechauns play. So some fun ideas. If you do any of it, let me know. Tag me on social media. It's a fun day to be Catholic and to bring that celebration of feasting to spiritual significances in our life, the life of the Irish people, as well as St. Patrick and the great work he did in converting Ireland. You're listening to trending with Tim Ray. Okay, the FDA, the FDA did something 20 years ago that was absolutely outrageous, an egregious offense to women. 20 years ago, the Food and Drug Administration, known as the FDA, approved, illegally approved, because they didn't go through the proper steps for this, a two-drug chemical known as the chemical abortion RU486. It has put millions of women through horrible, horrible, so-called routine medical procedure, out-home experience of abortion, where they give birth to a dead baby. The abortion clinics tell women, flush, don't look. It's appalling. If you actually follow the history of the FDA uh, doing this back in 2000, they never, the FDA never studied the chemical abortion for safety. They completely ignored the impact it would have with hormones and the impact that a chemical bomb would have in nuking a woman's body, impacting her hormones, her future, and her current body. Especially for young girls, nuking their bodies with chemical hormones uh, and disruptors, endocrine disruptors. And this has had a terrible consequence for adolescent girls, especially girls who are still going through development. 
everything was disregarded with regard to the chemical abortion pill and the name of abortion. In fact, we knew even back in 2000 that chemical abortion had a much higher complication rate than surgical abortion. So why are over 50% of all abortions in the United States today chemical abortion? Well, because the pro-abortion movement doesn't care about women. That's the truth of the matter. So here's the deal. We just saw over the last two years with COVID and with this current uh, Biden administration, they've used they've used COVID and the overturning Roe versus Wade to give even more access to uh, the abortion pill. And they have completely deregulated any little bit of safeguards that were available. Places such as Rite Aid, Walgreens, and other pharmacies can actually carry the RU46 abortion pill now. So what happened this week? Yesterday, the FDA, the FDA is in court. It's a first-of-its-kind case where the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of Texas is... Taking up this case, the Food and Drug Administration is facing the fact that they really illegally gave access to chemical abortion back in 2000, and this is being addressed for the first time. Praise the Lord. We need to pray. The Alliance Defending Freedom is involved in arguing this case for the pro-life side. Uh, They have done what they can. This is really in the court's hands. We will see what comes of this. Let's pray. Let's spread awareness. The fact that this case, no matter the outcome, is happening right now points to how outrageous, how outrageous RU46 abortion, chemical abortion is for women. And we need to share that data that's coming out. So we'll talk about that more in, in the days to come. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I do want to come back to this topic of confession and marriage because it's so important. Whether you are in a marriage, have been for years, or just got married, congratulations, or you're in a dating relationship, I want to talk about the important role of confession. Uh, confession helps to keep us accountable in our daily lives. It helps us to be truthful and, in other words, actually seek out reality in a world that is all about virtual reality, escaping from reality, saying, you do you and I'll do me and we can all sing kumbaya and coexist. Confession, again, gives us that accountability and truth that we so desperately need. It helps us to pursue what's true, what's good, and what's beautiful in human relationships. For example, uh, By that accountability of confession and through the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of our fallen nature, it helps us with a grace-filled life to discern our relationship statuses. So if we're married, we can ponder where we are in that relationship, where we are headed, what we need to do to make a change in our own lives to have a better outcome in the relationship with our spouse. If you're in the season of dating... Maybe you're single and looking out into the culture. Confession really helps you make those necessary changes to be a good person ready to marry another good person, to find and seek out another individual who is wholesome. It helps you if you're dating to make the necessary changes to have a better relationship or to end that relationship. Because remember, the sacraments Christ gave us, including confession, give us grace. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about what grace is. If you've maybe kind of wondered, okay, we talk a lot about grace, but what is it? Grace, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, is favor. It's the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God. Grace is a participation in the life of God. Grace is what helps us do the very things we want to do that are right in God, but we struggle to do by ourselves, by 
heaping the graces of the sacraments upon ourselves by going to reconciliation, by receiving Holy Communion, just by that act of going. It's, it is by us going and receiving those sacraments that we are receiving the grace to do what we are meant to do for the good in our lives. And that especially includes relationships. For marriage, grace helps us to live out that vocational sacrament of matrimony. If you're dating, grace helps you to live out that relationship chastely and to discern with that person whether this is someone you should marry or not. Grace helps you in that journey of chastity. And remember, chastity is for all, married and unmarried. Chastity is fidelity to your vocation that you're currently in. That will be tomorrow what you're in right now. And it prepares you for what you may be who knows how many years from now. In marriage, chastity through confession uh, can help inspire us to make sure we are exclusive with our spouse, to honor our spouse, maintaining that fidelity, not seeking, not being self-seeking in intimacy, but self-giving. In dating, it helps inspire chastity through how we interact together with our downtime, the commitment we make, what's happening with porn in our relationships. That includes marriage. Porn is a, is a huge violation of fidelity to marriage, even masturbation, some of these things that occur. And so confession is that healing balm that helps us in being hu- humble because in Christ, we can do things not by ourselves. Humility, that Latin root for the word humility is all about being grounded, of being of the earth, of being of the dirt. In marriage, it's a reminder that it's not all about ourselves. We shouldn't try to do it alone. With Christ, we can do it. And in dating, it helps orient us to the will of God in our lives. 